The Old Testament reading for this, the third Sunday after the Epiphany, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the ninth chapter. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken, as on the day of Midian. And this is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, all nations. For great is his steadfast love toward us. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. The epistle reading, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, the first chapter. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. It's a pretty simple request, isn't it? Paul asks the congregation in Corinth to get along, to be united, and to have peace with one another. Because that's what the church is supposed to do. And yet, here we are today, nearly 2,000 years later, still asking the same thing, and on an even larger scale. Can't we just get along as Christians? Can't we quit our bickering and our fighting and our backstabbing? Can't we as Christians live in unity with no divisions like we're supposed to? Because that's what the Bible calls us to do. We are Christians. We are called to have no divisions among ourselves. And yet, the divisions are very clear and large. Within our congregations, we have divisions. You know, we today might look back at the church in Corinth and say, well, our problems aren't that bad. We're not saying that we follow Paul instead of Christ. But you know, they might look at us and say, well, our problems weren't that bad. We didn't have people refusing for years to attend church because of a silly fight at a voters meeting. We didn't have parents telling their children that they were the ones who get to choose whether they go to church or not. We didn't have people who thought that the kind of music we use is more important than the message that it conveys. So you see, whatever the era, there are problems, and there are divisions. And as the church has grown, it seems the divisions have grown as well. In the Missouri Synod, we have divisions. The word synod is a beautiful word that means walking together. It's a picture of unity, of congregations united in faith and doctrine and practice, moving together as one in the same direction at the same time. We are united by a common confession. But the sad fact is there are deep differences of opinion on how that is put into action. And in fact, there are pastors and congregations within the Missouri Synod who publicly profess that they don't believe or feel the need to enforce the LCMS standards and practices. Pastors and congregations public, publicly flaunt their practice of open communion, saying, well, it doesn't matter. Everyone should be able to come because communion is just whatever you make of it. Well-known pastors and professors endorse evolution saying, well, the Bible, that's a cute little story, but we, we know what actually happened. So many congregations within the LCMS 
set aside hymnals and liturgies that are scripturally and doctrinally consistent to do something fresh and new, something fun in order to get the kids involved, catering to our entertainment society. And that's just within our own synod. Divisions between Christian denominations, those are far, far greater. Just in America, there are over 40 different Lutheran denominations, each with subtle and not-so-subtle differences in their doctrine and their practice, ranging all the way from steadfastly holding to Scripture to saying anything goes and just being a cheerleader for our sinful world. In America alone, there are tons and tons of different denominations, ranging from those who hold Scripture to be the inspired Word of God to those who pretty much deny that Jesus really even existed and everything in between. There's Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Baptist, Amish, United Church of Christ, Wesleyan, Anglican, Congregational, Pentecostal, Seventh-day Adventist, Freaky Jewish Zionism, each of them with a variety of subsets within themselves. And this isn't even counting all of the cults and the sects that claim to be Christian and yet completely deny the Bible, like Mormonism, Unitarian Universalism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Scientism, and so on. We are a church with major divisions, both locally and globally. We who claim the name of Jesus Christ and claim to be proclaiming his truth, we are divided. And that's not what we are called to be. So how do we fix it? How do we get rid of these divisions that have been in the church since the very beginning? Well, within the congregation, do we just kind of grit our teeth and act like we get along, even when we can't stand the person in the pew next to us? We put on that fake smile and go, well, sure, I got no problem with this person who's a total jerk and is completely wrong and has no idea what's actually going on. Do we put all of our doctrine aside and pretend there's no differences between denominations? I mean, that is the solution that many people endorse. Just smile and pretend that we're all the same, especially between denominations. We're all under the big banner of Jesus, and really, what else matters? Don't talk theology. Don't get into the finer points of the Bible, like whether or not Jesus is actually God. Just be happy. Smile. Get along and be joyful. Do we just kind of find out what the lowest common denominator is and focus on that? Bring everything down as low and as simple as possible so that we don't cause any undue division. So that we don't offend anyone, so we don't make anybody notice that there might be differences in teaching. Which also sounds pretty great. Until you realize that the lowest common denominator is so low that it's probably not even Christianity anymore. How do we fix these divisions? To be united with no division in these ways, that's a false unity. And that's not at all what we are called to do. The church has never been called to just put on a fake smile and look nice to everybody outside. Pretend that we all get along so that the world will think better of us and go, you know those Christian folk, they ain't so bad. The unity of the church, it does not come from any earthly window dressing 
any worldly proclamation, anything of this world. Because that will never last. And that doesn't actually benefit anyone inside or outside of the church. If we're just getting along in externals, if we're just smiling and happy and clapping each other on the back and completely ignoring the word of God, that doesn't do us any good. Not that we seek division, and not that we even want the divisions that we currently have, but ending those divisions by pretending they don't exist, that is the death of the church. We are called to be united, but we are called to be united in the truth of God's holy word. And for that truth, we must fight. Paul goes on to write, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That word unites us. That word is the power that holds us together. That word is the one thing that the church has that nobody else has and that truly brings us together. To the world, being united in the word of the cross, that's a ridiculous notion. They say, first of all, that's just a legend, a myth. You can't prove any of that. But even if you could, they say, you can't bring everyone up to a certain standard of truth. You can't tell people what's right and wrong. You can't expect everyone to agree. But you see, unity in earthless things, that's pointless. If we have togetherness without a proper understanding of the word, that's useless. If we stop striving for purity of doctrine and togetherness in God's word, we may as well take out the pews and put up basketball hoops. Because at that point, we are nothing but a social club. A worldly one at that. And just because nobody, not even us, can truly live out and fully put into practice the purest of doctrine, doesn't mean that we stop trying. And we certainly don't say that it doesn't matter. Imagine if you applied that way of thinking to your life. I'm probably going to get sick at some point in my life. So why should I bother washing my hands? Why should I bother brushing my teeth? Why should I care about the expiration date on that funky-smelling chicken in my fridge? Because at some point I'll probably get sick, so I'm just going to do whatever. It's ridiculous. We fight for the truth. We stand up to those who deny God's holy word, and we seek to teach those who err what God's word truly says and what it means. Not to prove that we're right, not to establish domination, but so that they too can stand in the truth and unity of God's holy word. Despite what the world tries to convince us, God's word is the one thing that truly unites us, truly gives us actual peace, and leaves us truly with no divisions. Because God has blessed us with his truth, that endures for all generations. His word does not change like our society. And if we build our unity on that, we'll never know if we're actually united when we wake up every morning. But his truth gives us a true spirit of unity with the past, with the present, with the future. We can put aside our petty differences when we realize that those earthly trappings really don't matter. 
We don't have to have a knockdown, drag-out fight over what color the carpet is, what time services are held, how much we spend on electricity. Not that we don't discuss those things, and not that they're utterly meaningless. There can be important discussions that we have. But if the decision doesn't go the way we think it should, we don't pout and leave the church about it or hold grudges against our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in those matters that do matter, in matters of doctrine and in Scripture, we stand firm in unity with one another and with God himself. Not by saying, well, let's just agree to disagree, but by changing our ways to fit with what God has spoken. When God's word is undermined by our culture, we stand firm and we stand together. When other church bodies tell us that we're old-fashioned for clinging to those outdated ideas like biblical inerrancy, well, we wear that as a badge of pride and we rejoice that God has kept us in his hand. When we're tempted to listen more to our sinful desires than God's holy word, we turn to our fellow Christians. We confide in them and we draw strength from their faith, from their experience. Because in Christ, through his atoning sacrifice, all division is actually put aside. All of our divisions and our disunity, where do they come from? They come from sin. Sin makes us think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Sin makes us think that we know better than even God does how things ought to be. Sin convinces us that we have better ways than what God has said. Sin causes division. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, sin has been dealt with. Sin is no longer our master. Jesus came to us in the flesh to take away our sin, to set us free, to unite us in himself. He died on the cross so that the body of sin would be crucified and brought to nothing within all those who believe. He rose again from the grave to set us free from sin and from death and from the devil and to make us his own. Unite us together as his church, his body here on earth. And even as we struggle with that sin, even while we know that this side of heaven we will never be totally free, sin is no longer our master. And we strive to set that sin aside to live by the word of God instead of the ways of the world and our own sinful flesh, to truly be united in what God has clearly told us. And we look forward to that day when we will be reunited with all believers in heaven, because there, fully set free from all sin, all believers will be of one mind. No more division whatsoever. No more petty squabbling. No more disagreement and personal opinion regarding God's word. Because there, in his eternal paradise, we will speak face to face with God himself. We won't have the temptation to to disregard one another, to disagree with God. There we will have true unity. But until that time, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we strive for unity here on earth in God's holy truth. We celebrate the message of the gospel with one another, forgiving each other when we are wrong, correcting each other in love when we stray. 
We rejoice that we have been forgiven of all our wrongdoings by the cross of Jesus Christ alone. We stand together, united against the tide of sin and darkness, strengthened by that very word for which we fight. Paul's request was a simple one. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul's appeal is our appeal as well, within our congregation and all throughout the entire church. We strive to get along. We strive to live in peace with one another. But we don't do so at the cost of God's precious word. We don't put aside that blessed truth of Scripture in order to pretend that everyone's ideas are equally right and nobody's really right or wrong and who can actually tell. Because that Scripture, that holy word of God, is the one thing that can truly unite us. It is the one thing that's actually worth having unity in. By that eternal, infallible, perfect, inspired word of God, we are drawn together to the cross, to the source of our life and our forgiveness. By that word which never leads us astray, we can set aside our petty earthly disagreements and squabbles, and we can stand together against the ways of the world with all those who believe. But for that word, we will fight tooth and nail, never surrendering, never giving in to the ways of the sinful world around us and our own sinful nature within us. To the world, that word is foolishness and folly. But to us, to those who know the power of Christ's love and mercy and grace, that word is the very power of God himself. Power that cleanses us. Power that forgives us of all our sin. And power that gives us the guarantee of everlasting life in heaven. United by that word, we have no divisions. Not because we pretend they're not there, but because by that word, Christ has changed us completely. He has united us as his beloved children, his holy family. And we know without a doubt that when he comes again in glory, all divisions will be put aside as we join him in his perfect paradise. We know this not because we try really hard to get along, not because we're getting a little bit better at pretending we like each other. We know we will be with him forever. Because he has told us so in that blessed word of scripture that we take so seriously and which we boldly proclaim to the entire world. Because there and there alone do we hear the blessed and eternal words of assurance and unity from the one true and triune God. That by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of all of your sin and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.